0: The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you, so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to The Business of You. I'd love for you to meet today's guest, who's Will Sampson. Will is on a moonshot mission to disrupt the self-help industry and possibly alter the human operating system. That is a pretty big mission, right? Uh, Will is a transformational mindset and change coach who guides tech companies and executives along with entrepreneurs to amazing levels of growth. He is the brains behind the T3 ecosystem, which stands for Transition, Transfer, and Thrive. And he also uh, did a TEDx talk in 2021 about rebooting his life, which is super fascinating. Highly suggest everybody listens to that. When Will is not germinating on the next wave of thought, he loves to cook and is also a Spartan racer. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Business of You. Will Sampson, it's so nice to have you on The Business of You today. How's your day going so far?
1: My day is great. Absolutely amazing. It's There's a little bit of that fall chill in the air, a little rain. So, And I love fall. So my day is awesome.
0: Me too. I love the fall as well. Such a pretty time of year. Well, Will, would love to hear about your your personal journey to how you started your Coaching business and your speaking business, and you also have a, a great podcast. So, tell us a little bit about your background and and how you found your your purpose in life.
1: Yeah, so the the best story to understand how I got here, sitting here with you, Rachel, talking to you, is uh, that I am a I'm a person in long term recovery, and that's a really important part of my journey. So, a little more than three years ago, I realized that I had just kind of burned down a lot of things around me. I had done the things that people with substance abuse disorders do. I had, you know, damaged relationships. I had damaged business, uh, my business. There was just a lot of um, dark things happening. And I decided to enter the process of recovery. There was a lot of other moving parts as well. But I was assumed that addressing as big an issue as substance abuse was something I was just going to have to do on my own. I was going to have to white knuckle it and I'm going to, I'll, I'll, I'll beat this thing myself. And what happened instead was I, I came into the rooms of recovery and there were a group of people who said, let us love you until you can love yourself. Let us believe in you until you can believe in yourself. And that I, I sometimes refer to that as emotional capitalism, because what they were willing to do was invest love and belief in me until I could create it myself. And so everything I do today is paying back what I've been given by great grace is how do we how do we pay this forward? Um I've always been very interested in communities and kind of how we live together. Um I was a sociologist by training. That's what my doctoral, that's what my PhD is in. So I was always kind of interested in it. But as I as I came um sort of into a new way of being me, so really I, I kind of had to reboot my life three and three years ago and some change. So I said, well, what what do I really want to focus on in life? And what I really want to focus on is how do we, I I, I sometimes joke that my, my life purpose is trying to make interdependence cool. Like how do we, how do we once again, remember that we are all bound up together. We are anyway, whether we realize it or not, we are from the moment we wake up till the moment we go to sleep. And even throughout the night, there's a, group of people keeping our world going, we just don't remember to focus on them. So so much of my work, my speaking, my coaching, uh, the course that I'm about to release, the podcast is really about this question of how do we create interdependence, which is just a way of a system of mutual dependence on each other, not not codependence, but I think what we need is in many ways is a way of remedying, remedying or moving past what has become a kind of toxic independence.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um so that's that's my uh that's my that's my journey.
0: That's so interesting and uh, uh, the to- the term toxic independence is one I want to dive into but before we do was there a particular incident or moment that uh that catapulted you into taking the steps towards recovery?
1: Yes, I was um I was in a DUI, um, Mm -hmm. caused an accident, because I was inebriated, I drove away. And what happened was I realized that I was gonna have to pay some penalty for that. I was gonna have to go to jail for a few weeks. And it's important to remember, not prison, it wasn't Oz. Jail in in the United States context is is more like, um, it's like getting stuck at the DMV with bad food. It's mostly just boring, sitting around waiting. But that ended up being the most incredible part of the journey for me. So, <clears throat> you know, I, I talk about this in my Ted, TEDx talk, but um, yeah, I was I was being sentenced and the judge, I was the very last person. The judge couldn't figure out why I was why there were still 18 people in the courtroom. She said, you know, who are you guys? And my attorney said, well, they're here for Mr. Sampson. They're here to stand in solidarity with him. And she said, and I, I'm not making this up. It sounds like it should be written by a movie by a movie screenwriter, but I had enough witnesses. She said, You are very fortunate, Mr. Samson. Be sure to lean on those people when your time with us is done. And what happened was I walked through, you know, I walked through that process. That was five weeks, where I had a lot of time to do, to journal and to reflect and say, what do I want my life to be? What's my meaning? What's my purpose? Um, you know, uh, Victor Frankl talks about we find meaning by having a project to work on. What was my project that I was going to work on? And beautifully I came out of it and about a month later COVID started. I um, mean, I say beautifully for me because I had been using this product that no one had ever heard of. It was called Zoom. <laughs> and I'd been using Zoom for years. We used it in my nonprofit and I said, "Well, I, I got an idea, guys. We can organize virtual meetings. And so for for the last two and a half, almost three years now, I've been able to be of service to other people. And what happened was over time, I realized, wow, service is pretty great and it's transforming me. So serving others is changing me. I'm going to keep doing this. It's great.
0: Mm-hmm. And were those meetings with some of the other folks you met in recovery or do you mean you were using it in your work or? Mm -hmm.
1: They were. Yeah. Now I do that as well with my work now, but what I'm referring to specifically was there's a recovery meeting that happens every morning uh, that I help run as, as is true for, you know, throughout the globe now, there's a, there's a lot of recovery happening online, but It was, uh, I was able to be of service there and some of them were the same people. Some of those people have come and gone as, as often happens in the recovery world. And then new people have come in. I've been able to meet new people and kind of help coach them through the process. So, and, but, Mm -hmm. but yeah, no, I do virtually all of my coaching and a lot of my speaking, I do virtually online now. Mm -hmm. So, Mm
0: -hmm. That is definitely a a beautiful aspect of COVID, right? Like so many more people got online now and and caught up with the ways we may have been doing business for many years. You mentioned that um, in our our pre-chat that your dissertation was on helping create intentional communities. And um, this term that you just mentioned, this toxic independence piece, like uh, my guess is, I don't know, that toxic independence is, um, more of a reason to be thinking about intentional community creation. So can, can you talk a little bit about, about both those terms and, um, especially where you think toxic independence could lead, could lead us, you know, just as individuals, mentally, emotionally, And um, and then how building intentional communities is something we may be able to to actively do, like in our own neighborhoods, like whether, you know, via Zoom or or locally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What I've come to realize is that that we have a cultural narrative that is killing us, literally. And the cultural narrative is you need to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Now. This is a careful, I want to be really careful with this subject, because what I have learned in my own journey is nothing changes until I take responsibility for it to change within me. I am now fully, I am now 100% the author of my own life, at least as much as I can, you know, remove the trauma and leave the baggage by the side of the road. But it's interesting, because that very term, pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, um, there was an inventor in the 19th century who claimed to have invented a uh, what we would consider a cold fusion, like he, a power, uh, endless source of energy machine. And um, the newspaper was writing an editorial about this guy. And they said, uh, maybe he can pull himself up by his own bootstraps. Like it was meant as kind of a joke. The problem is that it's now become, we think, settled science. And the reality is that the science is telling us exactly the opposite the statistics are that we we spend more and more every year on self help and other ways of kind of growing ourselves some of which is really great there's some amazing literature out there in the self help and personal growth world but we spend last year we spent 13 billion dollars uh, that's going to grow again next year and while they're not related it's also true that at the same time every year the world health organization says we're more depressed Fastest growing rates of death in the U.S. are for uh, what are called deaths of despair, suicide, alcoholic liver liver disease, and drug overdose. And so we're doing one thing and the thing we think it should affect is getting worse. So they're not necessarily correlated, but they clearly the one is clearly not helping the other. Um, And it really does fit into how we think about just the very concept of success. We celebrate these individual serial entrepreneurs the 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 musks and the bransons and all that but you know richard branson is a great example of what i'm talking about here because when richard branson was 23 years old he went bankrupt and his mom mortgaged her home to keep virgin record store in east london afloat and of course now we all know the story of of richard branson this amazing self-made billionaire Because he authored his own life. But the reality is, even the, even those success stories have stories of interdependence. Um, uh, people are realizing that, and there's some various, there's different kinds of experiments that are happening around the world to try and begin to create community. This the communities I looked at for my dissertation were um what are intentional communities, specifically they were the type of communities they were were called new monastic communities. So it actually comes out of a term. There was a theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who uh, died at the hands of Hitler. Um, And he was writing this letter to his brother. He said, what we need is a new kind of monastic community. So this idea where we would live purposely uh, together, um, but it had to be a community that involved families, children, different kinds of, uh, you know, different people living different styles of life and all that. Um, And so I had the, I had the good fortune of studying five different communities that we're trying to do that. Um, And there was beauty and pain like there is in everything we do together. Um, You know, it's one thing we can control a certain amount of trauma and pain when when all we're talking to is ourselves. But when we try to do life together with other people, it's hard and inconvenient. Um, And so what I came away from that experience with was uh, an understanding of the difficulty of it but also some uh, some beautiful pictures of what it could look like. Um, I actually myself lived in an intentional community for seven years. <clears throat> Excuse me, and um, uh, you know, just something that every person could do this week is start a regular routine of of a community supper once a week. I used to host. So I used to host host uh, supper every Sunday at my house. It was from noon to whenever people left. Um, I would make sure that every, that we had plates and I would cook a meal. I would cook food and then everybody else would bring food and then we would hang out sometimes four, five, six hours. sometimes it, everybody left after two hours. But that's a real simple thing to do. We all eat. and and just that just that simple, um, you know, thing of sharing a meal together with somebody is incredibly powerful.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that, that sharing a meal, being very connective and and powerful. Who would you invite to these dinners?
1: So the people I invited were a combination of people from the community I was a part of. Um, but then it kind of took on its own folklore, almost its own mythos. It's like, oh, you're the Sunday supper guy. Like I would see somebody. There was a there was a food co-op that I used to shop at when this was in Lexington, Kentucky, when I lived there and there was a food co-op co- i used to shop at and i remember somebody staring at me in the produce aisle and then they came over and they said are you the are you the sunday supper guy <laughs> wow yeah that's i guess so i guess that's me so it was people i knew um you know i was um teaching at the co- at the in the college classroom at the time so there was some professors who would come it really was just a whoever will may come kind of invitation, um, just open arms, inviting people who who want a sense of community. And, you know, there were there ended up being a core of people, probably about 15 to 20 people who were there most weeks. And then another, you know, just revolving cast of characters who came in and out.
0: I love that. Do intentional communities typically form around a common philosophy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So- yeah. 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 And there's been some interesting examples. We all know Amana uh, appliances. Mm-hmm. Amana was actually an intentional Christian community, and I, yeah. or intentional community rather, I think it might have been Christian, but it was an intentional community nonetheless in Iowa, of uh, you know people trying to do life together, and out of that they began innovating and creating products, and now we have Amana washers and and dryers.
0: Huh. That's so fascinating. I had no idea.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, some some of the work that you do today it, um from what i've read is created on this t3 ecosystem Yeah. can can you talk a little bit about your t3 ecosystem how and how you developed it also because i think it's so interesting for people to people who are try, you know creating their own methodologies or frameworks to understand like how did this come to be how did you discover it
1: yeah. So we kind of have to go back more than 20 years. So in the night I came out of the tech space and in the 90s I um built a company it was called Smart Ministry. What I realized was that a lot of people who go into either religious work or just nonprofit work of any kind, they don't go into it because they want to, you know, manage a database of donor names or because they want to, you know, do any of the administrative things that help nonprofits run. And this was uh, 1998 when I started the company. And so this was there was nothing like Mailchimp or Zapier or any of these sort of productivity tools that you can now use. Um people were just kind of on their own and and um you know running these nonprofits they often you know as I talked to them a lot of the the biggest barrier they faced was um administration. We just don't know how to do this stuff. And I um, my back, my educational background is not in IT. I got into IT because it was a solution to a problem I had, which was I was working, my first career was in politics. I was working in politics. Like how do I manage names of people? How do I manage walk lists? All these kind of things that campaigns need. And so I started Smart Ministry um, as a way of kind of building, it was an administrative portal was what we called it. Today we would call it an application service portal. It was kind of software as a service, but we weren't. It wasn't hosted. Obviously, this was 1998. None of these, a lot of this technology didn't exist. But today, what it would look like would be software as a service, where you log into a single uh, um, instance, a portal, and then you have your, you know, database, your your mail systems, all that. Um, and it was a great concept, and we had we had a lot of people very interested in it. Um, but we also ran into the giant. Uh, you know, wave that was the dot-com bubble burst. Um, and while we had, you know, it had been a lot of, it had been two years of sleepless nights and me writing all the code. And then the money dried up, people weren't interested. And we all went back and got quote unquote real jobs. Um, but as, as part of this, um, you know, this journey that I've been on the last few years, what I realized was that, that need is still very that desire rather to help people in that way is still very deep inside me. And the need still exists. Like the reality is that you know um a lot of entrepreneurs, especially social entrepreneurs, people who are trying to do something that's affecting a particular problem in the world, are often not the people who want to um, you know build to a massive scale so they can sell to Facebook or Google. What they want to do is they want to build a product and a company around it that does amazing work and helps solve some of these problems in the world. And <clears throat> often they're less attractive to venture capitalists um, because they're not going to scale to 100x in six months. They're <laughs> they're going to scale to 2x in a year maybe, like if 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 things go well. Um, so I started asking the question because I've I've um, a lot of my friends are in community development and things like that. And so I was looking with the language they were using around ecosystem, which is big in the community development space. And I started to say, well, why couldn't we create an ecosystem for entrepreneurs that wanted to do good in the world and particularly for entrepreneurs that were focused on interdependence? And so the idea of the T3 ecosystem was born. And right now it's a, mostly a behind the scenes um, conversation, although I do speak about it at events. Um, but what we're hoping to do by the end of next year is have launched at least four. We have four companies that we're in in the uh, space of helping right now launch and they would be part of this ecosystem, primarily because they would share administrative needs while they can focus on the social good aspect of their product.
0: OK, so what is the T3 piece stand for?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Transition, transform, and thrive. It's actually my coaching model as well, which is we we often have to kind of move into a new. We have to we have to really transition. Because I work with part of my work is with large organizations doing change management. And um William Bridges, who wrote a lot about, about change, he says that it's not the change that does you in, it's the transition. It's it's not the it's not the end state that's your problem, it's the getting to the end state. And so often we need to actually help particularly for young entrepreneurs who have a social good element to the, to what they're trying to start They really start it begins that their journey begins by helping transition them into a different way of thinking particularly around interdependence and particularly around what they should be good at and what other people can help them do so really interdependence is a, especially in our culture is a learned skill so transitioning through them through uh, to a point of interdependence helping to transform their mission. And that's where we, you know, we are coming in and helping with um, business plans, marketing plans, all the stuff you would suspect, um, and then ongoing support as they uh, roll out of this incubator space uh, so that they can thrive.
0: Okay, that's great. That ongoing support piece um, that, that comes into the, the thrive aspect, is that where you start building life teams for people or, or helping them figure that out?
1: It, it is. Well, actually, we start that kind of early. No, we start life teams. So life teams is the concept that I use for how individuals can act interdependently. Um, and the example I, or the way I always illustrate this is that you would never imagine, you know, Jeff Bezos is filing the quarterly tax returns, right? <laughs> He's got a CFO when he has a CHRO and a chief legal officer and all that, right? And we recognize that that's how successful companies run um but then as individuals we think we're supposed to be able to do everything and be good at everything and it's just it's crazy. And so I came up with the idea of life teams to sort of think like what would it be like if I thought of myself as a corporation what would this corporation need to hire? Well, it turns out I'm really good at writing. I'm good I'm very good at speaking. I'm quite good at strategy. Um but You know, the the way I've gotten to where I am is I began hiring virtual assistants, like who can help me with some budgeting issues, who can help me just make sure, you know, guests get invited to the podcast and things like that. Um, And so that I call that a life team, which is kind of building a team around you who can fill in for the things that you're not as good at. We often think of Steve Jobs as this amazing entrepreneur because he was. Here's what we need to remember, though, that the whole time during that whole meteoric rise of the iPhone, his COO was Tim Cook, who is an operations genius, right? And so yes, Steve Jobs was a, is a brilliant entrepreneur that we all know about because he had Tim Cook walking alongside him. So I think of that concept as life teams. In In the T3 ecosystem, that's the work we do with young entrepreneurs, which is helping them build that life team for themselves. But then in my coaching practice, when I'm coaching individuals, I also work with them on building a life team. How are you going to how are you going to actually move toward a point of thriving? And who's going to be who else do you need on your team to get you to that place?
0: Mm -hmm. Are there any tips or ways you can break down to someone who might be listening who's thinking like, oh, I could probably use a life team? Yeah. to f- to figure out wh- what do they need to do from you know step 1 to the last step to identify who might be a good fit for their life team
1: absolutely yeah so first of all the most important answer to your question or the most important step is to really truly know yourself and the way i take clients i help clients understand this is to go back through their stories because it's often true like i can go back to stories from when i was 4 and 5 years old and those stories that i remember with joy and fondness were stories where i was doing a certain set of things those stories that i remember with sadness and dar- and darkness were were stories where i was doing something i wasn't very good at so often the 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 key to what we're good at and where we need help is is hidden uh, not too deeply in our stories and so it's i take people through a story mapping exercise where they kind of look at their stories over time um but then probably the easiest place after that is to build a basic mastermind. You know, we we talked about the power of Zoom. Look, masterminds are free, I guess, unless, unless you're going to talk more than 30 minutes, in which case it's $15 a month for a Zoom license. I mean, it's so straightforward to do it. I actually run three masterminds right now, one here in the U.S. and then two for people around the world. Um, very simple. And it's a very simple formula. Like, what's a mastermind? I heard something about it way back in Think and Grow Rich and all that. I have no idea what it is. It's just a simple getting getting together of people. And because I come out of software development, I'm so familiar with Agile. It's an Agile way of building a life team. So it's just three questions: What did I get done since the last time we were to get to get we got together? What am I going to get done between now and when we get together? And how can the group help me? And so. There's, there's a lot more to building a life team than that, but that's sort of the basic building blocks, which is start with a really good understanding of who you are, what you're good at, what gives you joy, what gives you revenue. You know, it is important with with for entrepreneurs, look, if if you're not earning revenue with the thing you're doing, somebody else should be doing it, right? And we all kind of know this, but it's easy to forget. So start by understanding who you are, what you do well, build a mastermind around you, um, and then I, you know, an important part of my life teens journey and my overall life growth journey has been, as I mentioned earlier, being in service and kind of thinking, trying to wrap my head around how do I live as a gift to the world? Because when I give gifts to people, they often give them back, it turns out. Now, I don't I try to be really careful when I'm talking to people about this who are new to this concept. I'm not talking about just giving and giving and giving and to, to people who are energy vampires. I'm not talking about that at all. Um, and I've even had situations where I've had people in mastermind groups that I've had to kind of ask to leave or to behave in different ways because they were taking, not giving. But that's been pretty rare. Um, but you know, even just beginning with the question of how can I serve, how can I help? Um You know, there's there's three questions that I help my clients um, employ in their life. And there are three questions I learned from the recovery process, but they're equally applicable throughout the world throughout every part of our life. And the three questions are what can I learn? How can I be grateful? And how can I help? So whenever we're confronted with these difficult situations, things that didn't turn out. I had a client situation back in the summer that just went Downhill real fast, like it was just not a good situation. And most of us say, "Oh, that person is so wrong." Let me think of all the reasons they're wrong. What I've learned instead to start with the question: What can I learn from that interaction? Interaction. What, what did I miss? And you know, I'll give you an example that's not related to people or to to clients at least. Um, back on actually on July fourth, I was in a car accident. And I was clearly in the right, no question asked. I was the third or fourth person going through a green light. Person ran the red light, sideswiped me. Um, but I was able to practice because I've been helping <laughs> teaching my clients this. I was able to sort of ask that question: What can I learn? Like, and I'm a even more careful driver now than I was then. How can I be grateful? Well, my car spun around twice, but I'm alive and I'm mostly healthy. You know, I had a, a little bit of shoulder. Uh, pain and and some back pain and you know week later it was a forgotten muscle memory at least um and then how can i help so right away i reached out to this person the other driver how can i help are you okay turns out she didn't really want consoling at that point but that's okay because that that model changes our way of seeing the world where we don't think everybody else is the problem but we think we're the solution because we are, can begin to own uh, our own Journey in our own story, so that's a big part of developing a life team as well. Is just sort of living, learning how to live in right relationship with ourselves and others.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's such a a beautiful example. The car accident of the three questions. I'm glad you shared that. Thank you. Let's turn the lens a little bit on you. You, the person, the human behind the scenes. Um, You sound extremely mission-driven. It's something you've brought up so much, you know, very service, motivated by service. What would you say, Will, are some other attributes of your personal brand and how would others describe you?
1: Yeah, so definitely service-oriented, that's a big part of it. Um, What I have always excelled at, and this, again, relates to my story, is um, helping make complex concepts more understandable and more manageable. And story of interdependence. So when I was in seventh grade, I had a science teacher, Mrs. Allen. And our job was, it was very, our our assignment rather was quite vague. Just go out in your yard or in the woods and find something in nature that you can explain. So kids brought in bugs and worms and acorns and all that. And... (laughs) I was already a food nerd. I'm, I'm a huge food nerd, and I was already a pretty big one then. So I went out in my yard and I picked field greens, and I I brought in a dress salad of of dandelions, purslane. I forget there were four or five greens in there. Um, and and I remember she she looked at me and she said, and I, I thought, like kids were thought that was really funny and weird. But she looked at me and she said, "You are very good at explaining things to people. You should do more of that." And I've carried that. Like I literally, that carried me forward. And so a big part of what I hope to be able to do, when I, you know, I joke, I'm making interdependent school, but that's part of it is explaining this concept. We, we're wrapped up in these cultural narratives. We're wrapped up in what culture tells us to believe, to think and all that. And culture is very tied up in this idea of, independence and that that fierce sort of single entrepreneurial mindset um but you know part of what i bring to the world is the ability to just deconstruct those myths and um ask what's behind the thing you know like the story i gave of richard branson before there was a i was listening to a podcast a few months ago and there was a a young entrepreneur there uh, quite successful in his early 30s and the interviewer was asking him you know why did you need why did you feel the need to go out on your own and he said um, well i was all alone at home and i got creative and i came up with the solution that became the company and so on uh, and so the interviewer asked well you know why were you alone like was weren't your parents around he said well my dad died when i was young and my mom was off working two jobs and my first thought was that's so amazing. You had a mom who worked two jobs, so you could have a roof over your head, you know, and so on. And so I just have this capacity to see these, um, to see these kinds of things and explain that uh, to people. Um, one thing I will say as well is, is, you know, being, being in recovery, I often refer to it as my superpower, because it's given me a lot of amazing gifts in life. One of them is the capacity to just, be able to listen well to people it's what's made it's it has literally transformed my coaching because in a recovery meeting typically you say your thing whatever that thing is and then you spend the rest of the hour listening to some to other people and listening is this skill that I've become quite good at which I, I know you know like oh he's a good listener and all that no it's it's what's desperately needed we we are we live in this world dominated by social media where we all think we're supposed to say our, we're just supposed to keep saying our thing. And really having that ability to cultivate conversation and bring people into deeper conversation, eventually T3 uh, is moving once once we start to build some entrepreneurial base to where we're gonna have um, conferences and uh, we'll begin to do research where we can actually help teach people the skills of, of listening deeply. And really focusing on the real problem, it's so easy to get caught up in whether it's the political conversation or the social media conversation. It's this, it's that, it's this candidate, it's this problem. And not to and to forget that beneath these really deep seated problems we face in the world are real humans who just need someone to give them a voice and someone to and they need someone to actually listen to them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. Um I just heard a podcast the other day saying something similar about the importance of listening and seeing people as they truly are, and just like what a gift that is to a person to be on the receiving end of that. Right. So, you mentioned you did a TED talk, and I and I saw that as well. How has that impacted your business growth or your personal brand? The actual. you know, like tactic of, of um, creating and delivering a TEDx talk.
1: Yeah. What it's, what it did was it really crystallized what I want my, one of my major brand statements, which is this idea of interdependence. When you're, when the stakes are high, as they are in something like a TEDx talk, you want to be sure you get the topic right. You want to, you want, you don't want to get up there and you know, just ramble on, you want to be able to have a a clear message that you're delivering to people. And it was important for me um, for for two reasons with relation to brand. One, it really did help crystallize a lot of my thinking around interdependence and the work that I've done in the last year and the clients that I've attracted and the, the, the growth in the business because of not just the TEDx talk, but because of this crystallization in my understanding of what my brand was, has been huge. Yeah, But there was a really, for me, because of what I talked about, so there's not a, not a whole lot of, there's a few, but there's not a whole lot of TED Talks that begin with, let me tell you about the time I went to jail, right? They don't actually, they don't often start that way. And so um, what's been helpful for me is I've been trying over the last several years to to increasingly practice vulnerability, self-honesty, courage. And nothing's going to do that better than standing up in front of the TEDx audience and saying, let me tell you about the time I went to jail. Like it took a certain amount of courage. So I found my heart again. I found more, I found parts of my heart I had forgotten about. It took vulnerability because that's just not, these are taboo subjects. We don't tend to talk about them. Um, And it took self-honesty because you know, when you get up there and talk about it, you also need to, well, you should at least be self-reflective enough to ask, is this really true of me? These things I'm going to say, are they actually true? And so it really fostered a lot of those characteristics of vulnerability, courage, and self-honesty in me as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that takes a lot of guts to do that for sure. Well, one one final question, Will. You You have a methodology that's an ecosystem, but as a business owner, it also, you have built an ecosystem in terms of how you deliver your services, which is brilliant. You're a speaker, you're a coach, you um, now have a course coming out, right? Like what, what is, so what is next for you on the horizon? And, you know, feel free to talk a little bit about your course as well.
1: You bet. Yeah. So the course I'm absolutely stoked about. This is sort of the culmination of more than a year's worth of thinking and a whole lot of research went into it. The course is called How to Create Lasting Transformation in Your Life. And what I have learned um, from my own journey is that often the person I who least believed in me was me. Like, and people in recovery experience this all the time. You know, for years you're telling you're, you're telling the people around you, well, I'm gonna make this, I'm gonna fix this problem, and then you don't, so they stop believing you. But the but the single most significant person who stops believing you is yourself. And so people lose self-trust. And one of the reasons I think we're awash in self-help books while we're also awash in depression is because there is just a gap between those two. And we don't really know how to create change in our life. And even change, I, I talk about in the course, change is fleeting. Transformation is important. You know, if you change, if you, you know, pick up some new habit you can go back to that you can go back to the old ways of being when we transform we take on a whole new identity you know the example i give in the course is once a caterpillar turns into a butterfly it's not crawling around on the ground anymore because butterflies do different things and so we need to become something different including how we think about other people um because we have for for too many they are um what i would call just kind of a self-help burnout they they've they've invested a lot of money in books courses webinars all that they keep coming back to the same questions and and problems and so really helping people develop a consistent pattern of lasting transformation that follows four steps it starts with our head but then it moves into our heart often we go from our head to our gut which is where habits exist but it moves into the heart where we create an identity and then we create a habit and a habit stack, a series of habits linked together. And that gives us the belief and the ability to then imagine, okay, what else could I where else could I grow? So it's think, be, do, then grow. Um, and then the other exciting thing that's on the horizon, it is actually going to be one of the companies that'll launch next year, is Life Teams is gonna be an app. So we're actually building. I'm working with uh, a really incredible AI uh, team out in L.A. right now who is helping me design the algorithm or alg- algorithm to begin to create our own life team.
0: That's amazing. So w- w- that'll be an app for a mobile?
1: It'll be an app for mobile, yep. Okay, And then also have the opportunity to do, it'll also help people self-organize masterminds as well as local ups, but specifically around this question of interdependence and how we help each other succeed. It's not just a meetup for a meetup. These are, this is small, no life team. The research seems to indicate that no team this size should be bigger than six people. So okay. you'll be able to self-organize on the app teams of up to six people that are doing life together with you.
0: Oh, I love that. That's super cool.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, you'll have to come back and tell us about that when that's ready to go. What are you estimating time-wise for that?
1: That's going to that's still going to be a while. Okay. I'm, I'm optimistically saying next August. I okay. think we're, I think we're okay to launch uh, next August.
0: Okay. I put apps and websites in in the category of like when you're building a house, a physical house, right? Like there's always things that come up you didn't think of adding right. or ways to restructure, so um, we'll keep our fingers crossed for August.
1: There you go. And I would love to come back and talk about it when it launches.
0: Yeah. I think it's a really neat concept. Well, it's been awesome having you on the show. Where is the best place for people to find out about you, learn more about your coaching, maybe bring you on as a speaker or, or listen to your podcast. Excellent.
1: The best place is to just go to my website and it's just willsampson.com, no P W I L L S A M S O N.com. And you can sign up for a weekly newsletter there. I put out a, a short newsletter. Some of these newsletters now are gigantic. No, it's a a short three or four paragraphs long and then uh, also has updates on the podcast and things like that. You can listen to the podcast. You can sign up for coaching there. There's a form to fill out where you will, um, so it'll start the interview process. Um, And then that's also how people find me to book me as a speaker. Excellent. Thanks so much, Will. Rachel, this was great. Thank you.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of you. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to the Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.